Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. I'm Steve Letarte, STP auto expert and former crew chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 plus Fuel System Cleaner plus Fuel Stabilizer, delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. Welcome to the NASCAR NBC podcast presented by STP. I'm your host, Nate Ryan. Today, we are at Bristol Motor Speedway in the Media Center, race day morning for the Bristol Night Race. The garage isn't open yet, but we have the crew chief for Martin Truex Jr., Cole Pern, joining us. Cole, thanks for being here. I found it somewhat amusing. I had to get you on the approved list to get into the track this morning because the way Bristol does this, the garage is pretty much the pits. So they don't allow anybody in here before 11 a.m. when the garage opens. So Yeah, I had to get special clearance. So it's good <laughs> to be in here. It's quiet. All right, good. Hopefully this will give you a little bit of a head start on your day. Are you antsy to get out there? We're looking out here at the haulers. I mean, it's a long day ahead, but I know that you guys didn't really get a chance to make changes after last night, right? Yeah, it's a little bit different here because you pretty much, as soon as qualifying's over, you got to load the car in the truck. You know, normally you got time to think about it and lick your wounds and get ready for, you know, what you're going to do overnight so it's definitely a little bit different so we got a little bit more time this morning to get sorted out but you got to reset up your pit you know reset up scales all that so it's definitely a little bit different schedule for sure right they had the uh, xfinity race here last night so they make everybody on the cup side you guys have to just load up your trucks and close them up pretty much as soon as qualifying is over last night and then just wait we're more than nine hours away from the, the green flag yeah. at this point so this is a long day for you and your team yeah i mean it's just uh it comes with the territory i think uh you know, especially by the time this is all over, you're you're pretty worn out. This this place is just taxing in general. You know, you're working in you know through practice yesterday. It's really you know it's uncharacteristically noisy compared to anywhere else, and yelling and shouting. And then you know you got 500 laps of that tonight, so it's definitely a definitely a different animal. Is this a place where I understand that when you became a crew chief, Martin Truex Jr. told you you need to use your radio <laughs> voice? Yeah. Would, would this be a track where you need to use your radio voice a little yeah, bit more? Yeah, for sure. He uh, he's always on me to speak up but i've been i've been told that my whole life so i do all right at it though (laughs) (laughs) i was pretty frustrated yesterday so i was doing plenty of speaking up (laughs) learning how to scream is part of this job at times (laughs) i let a few people in cole on the fact that we were going to have you on the podcast and the main topic that people wanted to hear about the most your attire the black t-shirt that you're currently wearing right now you of course 
are dressed like no other crew chief. Usually we see crew chiefs in the fire suits or the, the uniforms with all the sponsor logos. You were always clad in black and white t-shirt, furniture row, Denver mattress, very plain. How did that come to be? Oh, uh, it's just me. I hate those. <laughs> I hate wearing a fire suit. I mean, I raced a lot of years growing up and Unless I was getting in a car, I didn't really want to have a fire suit on. I don't understand the point of that. So, um, you know, as far as the crew chiefs uh, or the crew shirts and stuff, I mean, yeah, I probably should wear one, but they're not the most comfortable thing in the world. And I don't know. I I feel this way. At least uh, I'm comfortable. I'm myself. I wear a T-shirt every day. You know, I don't have a lot of collared shirts. Um, That's part of being in racing is kind of, you know, you don't really dress up a lot. But uh, that's just that's just me. I mean, that's just uh, where I'm most comfortable at. And I figure if I'm going to do this job, might as well be comfortable. So until like a pit box is engulfed in flames, you're not really seeing the need to wear some. If there's a fire, I'm I'm running away from it, not running to it. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't really. Pretty sure there's firemen up and down pit roads, so I don't see the need for me to wear a fire suit. Right, right. (laughs) Did this come with like Barney's sort of approval, or your owner Barney Visser? Is he a guy who just says, "Hey, whatever makes you guys comfortable"? I'm the owner. I'm also the sponsor. You guys have sort of carte blanche to to do what you want. Uh, I'm pretty bad at just doing something and then just hoping it's okay after the fact. So. I just started doing it, and then things were going well. No one, no one really ever said anything, so I just okay. assumed it was fine at that point. You're more of a uh, <laughs> beg for forgiveness than ask for permission kind of guy. Yeah, definitely. I think that would serve a crew chief well. You guys, of course, are based in Denver. We've talked about how I think that it works in your favor, and I want to talk about a little bit how there are certainly some disadvantages to it as well. But just want to start with, to me, like the, the black T-shirt kind of signifies like what you guys are about, that you guys are unconventional. I think you guys do things differently. You guys kind of all dress in black and, and dress a little bit differently than everybody else. And, you know, I had someone connected with the team tell me that they've noticed like everybody tends to have facial hair. There's almost like a pirate vibe that you guys kind of have. How do you see that? And is that, you know, is that something that's kind of just happened organically or is that something that maybe it was by design you guys were looking for people who kind of fit a certain... Or yeah, I think, I think it's definitely like an organic kind of natural process. It's just kind of the people that have all stayed as part of the team, you know, we're all similar age, you know, we kind of, you know, all have that kind of rough around the edges kind of feel to ourselves. Um, and then we've, as we've added people and stuff, we've just kind of added people we like, and then that naturally is just more people like that. And then all of a sudden you have a, a, you know, continuous group of, you know, where we're all similar age, we all kind of hang out together. We are all going through similar things in our lives together and it just really breeds a lot of closeness. So, you know, that's definitely on the road crew side. And then, you know, as far as the shop side goes, it's just very laid back atmosphere, you know, just being out there is even when it's hair on fire, we're, we're hair on fire about the right things. You know, it's not politic driven. It's, it's hair on fire about how we're going to get cars done and how we're going to get cars better. And, you know, it's definitely a, a little bit different vibe than, you know, some of the bigger teams I've been at. Meaning that the attitude is you can accomplish great things if no one cares who's getting the credit. It's just about making the car go faster. Yeah, it's definitely, it's a group effort for sure. There's not a lot of hierarchy. There's not a lot of like chain of command. We ask all the time, like, who actually is the boss here? You know? <laughs> I, really, I thought that would be you. <laughs> yeah, I don't, but I'm not, that's just not me. I don't like, I don't like being in charge or I, I like having a say, but I like, you know, being part of the group. So it's a, uh, it's definitely a different vibe that way. I don't think, you know, I think there's four or five of us that probably all have a pretty solid say in what happens. And luckily we just all generally look at things the same way. So it's, it's nice when you have other, you know, strong personalities around you that, you know, you value their opinion and they value yours and you generally come up to, you know, what the right move is. So when you have that kind of support, it definitely, it makes the whole group that much stronger. Hmm. 
So there's a sense of everybody is maybe more autonomous than at, at you've worked at other big organizations where there's a lot more structure there and a lot more rigidity in what you're allowed to do. For sure. You know, Todd Berry is always telling me the only way you're going to have a, uh, a group of overachievers is to not micromanage. And I think uh, we definitely have that. I mean, everybody overachieves and it's just because they're allowed to work whatever on whatever they want. And, you know, it's a, it's kind of a different because we're small. We're able to do that. I don't know that you can really accomplish that if you have 500 people or something like that. You definitely have to have more structure than probably what we have, but it's uh, it works for us, and it's one of the funnest things about working there. Roughly, how many people do you guys have there total at Denver? Like 70 or 80? Yeah, I maybe? think we're about 70 with that, with mm-hmm. the 77 group in there, so it's definitely uh, definitely a lot harder to get parking spots in the morning right now. <laughs> it's like... I, we start at six and I pretty much arrive at five fifty nine. So I'm parked in the boonies most days. They don't give you special, like number one employee no, parking. No, I'm, I'm parked <laughs> as far out as anybody. <laughs> I've never asked for one. So it's just the way it is. <laughs> and you guys are in a, like a kind of like an industrial section of Denver. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's compared to like where you came from. I mean, it's not like Charlotte where no. there's race team after race team after race team. No, it's very different. Yeah. Most people don't know you're there, but as, <laughs> as we've gotten better, we, you know, we only allow, I think shop tours on Thursdays and they're definitely a lot more people in them now than probably there was you know seven ten years ago or something like that so but it's definitely uh, yeah it's not a you know most people you know we don't have a sign up front and i think that just goes to barney really i mean barney's not about flash you know he's for so many years he's had to spend a lot of his own money to do it so i think uh, for him it was like well, i'm gonna spend money on performance and the rest of the flash really doesn't matter so for the longest time we said you know if we need a new piece of equipment or something like that to get the car faster there's going to be no problem in getting it but if we want to get a new hauler or you know something to make the shop look nice or something like that that's a tough sell you know yeah. so it's just but once you kind of understand that you really appreciate it and i think that uh you know, now, you know, our team's kind of taken on the same mantra, so to speak. So you're looking for people who truly all they, I mean, we hear the, the word racer get tossed around a lot in NASCAR, but truly what you guys are looking for is somebody who only cares about like what Barney would care about, which again, I'm not going to spend money on something mm-hmm. unless it makes the car go faster. Yeah, for sure. I think, uh, you know, we have to have a big fancy hauler because you just have to have that. But if we didn't have to, I'm not sure we would, you know, you like that. It's just, it's about, uh, you know, taking no prisoners as far as the car side goes and making sure we do our job the best we possibly can to make the car go as fast as we possibly can. And, you know, I think that, you know, even you look at Martin, I mean, that's, you know, what he kind of has done to stay at this team is, you know, he's had to take sometimes a lesser role just to make sure the car performance is, you know, the money spent in the right places to, to help everything. And I think, uh, you know, when you got a driver like that, you know, bought into the same thing. It just, uh, it really all fits really well. There are maybe four or five people at the shop there, including yourself, I would think, who have a lot of say in the, in the direction of the team. And obviously we hear your name, we hear Joe Garoni's name, we hear Barney Visser's name. I see Jeff Curtis, also known as Jazzy Jeff, tweeting yeah. a lot on <laughs> on social media, and he's based uh, in North Carolina. Though, yeah, right? that's yeah. the oddest scenario too. I mean, Jazzy basically when um, I started RCR, Jazzy basically trained me. You know, oh, okay. Most of my race engineering skills came from him. You know, my understanding of simulation and vehicle dynamics is largely taught by him so i think it's kind of unique scenario for us to be able to come back and work together so you know the fact that we look at things the same way you know really unique situation because we have you know over 10 years of working together so to speak so yeah he he lives in north carolina and that works well i mean we just talk through skype and we talk on the phone and again it's just because when you have a bunch of people that look at things the same way it's not necessarily that we we have to talk a lot we talk when we need to and it's it works and you know he comes out to denver when 
you know, there's a lot going on or we need to do something, you know, special that week or whatever, but it, uh, it fits our, fits our group. You know, I like it. I wouldn't have it any other way. Does having him in North Carolina keep you guys more plugged into what's going on in Salisbury or Absolutely not. No. No, he just, works from his house. He just works from his house. He okay. pretty much wakes up in <laughs> his house coat and pajamas, and sometimes we'll be talking, he'll have his kid jumping on his lap, and that's just how our team works. I mean, I, I can't imagine, uh, you know, you wouldn't believe as dysfunctional as we are that we run as good as we do. I mean, it's, a, it's a pretty unique scenario. Any other names in, in Denver that we don't hear about that are, are critical to? Yeah, I mean, go? you hear Pete Rondo and then, you know, our shop manager, Johnny Roten. He's really, you know, kind of the heart heart and soul guy. Um, he's been there since I've been there. You know, he was a former Abraham guy, former Bill Elliott guy, PPI, you know, kind of one of Groney's posse at one point. You know, he works, I don't know how much, I wouldn't want to add up the number of hours he works. It's pretty much ridiculous. And then Matt Faulkner, who's uh, used to be a race engineer with me and now pretty much runs all the design side and just kind of does everything everything he's naturally one of the nicest people you can meet he can give somebody and you know bad news or be really hard on somebody and they'll walk away saying he's a nice guy and i try to be nice to somebody and they walk away thinking i'm a, a jerk or something so he's uh he's got a good he brings a good balance to the team so i mean we got i could go on and on i mean we got you know jonathan dehart and Jason Fowler, Todd Carmichael. I mean, there's a ton of key people that we have that just, uh, you know, really, really make the team run. Is there an example, Cole, of something that one of those guys will do that's maybe different from a big team? I know you guys don't want to disclose too much of your, like, your secret sauce, but like, what are things that they do in the shop that ensure that the car goes faster that might be different from another big team like when a Pete Rondo makes a call on something is it just like parts and stuff like that oh and car stuff too but we just all we all talk you know it's just I think being small allows you to really communicate and you know I think like I said earlier it's just we have we've all been together quite a while so we've kind of struggled together and we've all got better together so when you've kind of gone through that it lets everybody look at things the same way like you know nine times out of ten they don't need to ask me something because they know that I think the same as them they know that whatever they think's right is probably what I'm going to say is right. So that just speeds things up. Very rarely do they do something that I'm like, ah, I don't think we should have done that. It, I don't know. We just really work seamlessly, I guess. It seems like you guys all genuinely like each other. I've noticed that after your wins as well, you often tweet these victory selfies of the team. And obviously team members are going to be enthused about a victory, but you guys seem to genuinely be enjoying this in a way that maybe other teams don't can you is it is it Uh, just because you guys get along so well i think so i mean and it's fun i mean we you know we all get along and we all work really hard at it and when you win i mean that's why you race i mean you know we've all grown up in racing and there's no other fun feeling in racing than winning you Mm -hmm. know so i think uh, we all understand that and we all enjoy it you know a lot of us have been in points in our careers when we've struggled and you know never knew you were ever going to win a race so when you do win them you you uh you definitely take advantage of and enjoy it you know and then i think it's kind of fun that our driver is bought in the same way i think we're one of the few teams that we all go and hang out together after the race so 77 guys don't like it because they gotta wait on the plane probably too long for us but <laughs> we're used to not having anybody to wait on us either it's just a it's a unique vibe for sure you know one i'm you know really lucky to be a part of that reminds me of after your first win in 2015 at pocono sherry pollux who of course is, is martin Truex Jr.'s girlfriend tweeted this photo and the, she captioned it this is the best i'm sitting here watching them laugh and listening to them tell stories about their day hashtag priceless and it was just pretty much you and martin and the road crew just standing around in a circle 
I guess just swapping stories about the race or the race weekend. Does that happen after every race? And that's why pretty the plane's much, late. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much every race. Yeah, yeah. We're just like, Oh, this happened and this happened and I can't believe that happened. And you know, and that was an awesome move there, or that was a great call or we screwed that up. And why are we so dumb for doing that or whatever? <laughs> you know, it's just kind of, I don't know. It's really open environment. I think that's the, the biggest thing. No one's pretentious in the fact of admitting when we screwed something up or, Mm-hmm. calling somebody out we're equal opportunists on that to really get up somebody's butt when they screw up so including the driver including me and and everybody so i think uh as the fact that we're all that comfortable with each other really uh really helps okay let's pause the podcast here to tell you about a product from our presenting sponsor stp and that is the ultra five in one plus fuel system cleaner and fuel stabilizer for more than 60 years stp has been on the cutting edge developing products such as this to help engines perform at their best. In this newest product, the STP Ultra 5-in-1 Plus Fuel System Cleaner and Fuel Stabilizer delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline. That helps keep fuel fresh during storage, especially in engines that are stored over an extended period of time. I have used products such as these for years in my personal cars. They're very easy to use. You just put the contents in the gas tank and they improve fuel efficiency and also keep your engines running smoothly. The STP Ultra 5-in-1 Plus Fuel System Cleaner and Fuel Stabilizer is compatible with all two- and four-stroke engines, including lawnmowers, boats, and motorcycles. And one bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. So be sure to check out the STP Ultra 5-in-1 Plus Fuel System Cleaner and Fuel Stabilizer. And now let's return to our conversation with Cole Pern. Barney's role and how he sort of influences the team with, with his management style. When we see him here in the media center, he comes off as a very blunt spoken, clipped answers. He doesn't really mince words, but you always seem to know where you stand when you ask him a question about something. What is his role behind the scenes and is, is what we see publicly sort of the Barney you guys see in the shop? Oh, for sure. You know, he definitely is really not involved in a lot in terms of like micromanaging what we do you know he just wants to know like he he likes the fact that you know he trusts us and believes in us more than anybody and when when generally when you're talking to him about what's going on it's not because he wants to offer a decision he just wants to know this is his baby in a way and he just uh he likes being a part of it so it's you know it's kind of a unique uh unique vibe you know i go back to the not micromanaging kind of thing and he doesn't you know, really at all when it comes to the car stuff. Groney might have a different view when it comes to <laughs> other things. Uh, it's just, it just works. I mean, I don't know. It's very different. I can't really describe it like any, anybody else for sure. And it's definitely a, it's a unique deal and it's a fun one to be a part of. He has a, a real commitment to cars that maybe we don't talk about enough or maybe gets overlooked. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, from what I have been able to discern, like a huge key of the team's success is the Visser Precision company that he has that essentially built military-level sophistication application mm-hmm. parts and you know high-tech stuff. Is that a part of why the team's so good? Oh, it definitely helps. It's nice having that right there when you need something. I think Barney's just a really tech guy i mean you go in the mattress factory and you look at denver mattress and you know all the technology there and he he enjoys that you know that's that's something that he finds interest in so i think that's why he probably led him into racing more so than maybe other sports Hmm. just because of the technology aspect of it as we said he's more of a blunt guy and you just kind of described it there cole and and how you guys break down races and you know why did 
we do something that dumb. You also are very blunt. And especially on Twitter, you didn't join until you became a crew chief at the beginning of the 2015 season. I got coerced into it. And you still tweet very judiciously, I I might add. 389 tweets in 31 months. So you're averaging about one every three days or so. But but whatever you do, I can tell you for sure the NASCAR media takes note because we get a kick out of it. Because they tend to be biting or they tend to be incisive or they tend to be sometimes loaded with subtext. What's your approach to doing that? That's me. That's probably why I got sense the principal's office a lot growing up you know so i don't know i was always one of the smarter kids in class that was always in trouble at the same time so i don't know i kind of have that type of humor that type of personality so it's definitely uh i try to be smart about it i've probably gotten smarter about it as i've gotten older but i'm a quippy sharp witted guy at times and that's kind of comes across across twitter sometimes a good medium for kind of expressing yourself in that smart alex student in the back of the class yeah and everything that's kind of it i got told a lot of times i was a smart ass growing up so, <laughs> I mean, i've gotten a lot better my wife definitely has helped me with that keeps me in check so one of my favorites this year was after the richmond race where they had a number of commitment line violations and you tweeted man those commitment line violations sure do make the racing better just puts you right on the edge of your seat which course again like had us all laughing in the media center and at richmond after that race it's fun for us but is there blowback for you or or have you found that line that you can walk and and not really be bothered uh a little bit maybe at times but you know obviously we're all together in this you know trying to make the sport as best we possibly can and but still the same point you gotta you gotta be honest when when something's dumb you gotta you gotta call out the stupidity of it at times i think so you know that one for example it's just like why what exactly is the point of this rule so, I mean, at the end of the day, it's just, you know, you want to go racing and you know, NASCAR is in a tough, tough world, but I wish for every rule they'd made, they'd pull five more out. But it's, uh, <laughs> that's just kind of the product of the environment, I guess. You also have tend to be a little bit political, a little bit outspoken at times. Has that put you in awkward positions at all or kind of learned to be a little bit more discriminating? And Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think, and especially in the world right now, the last thing everybody needs is another political opinion. So I yeah. try to stay quiet on it, but it's, uh, you know, it's frustrating for me at times. Definitely, uh, you know, you definitely want to see the world in a little bit more sane place than where we are right now, but that's just the way it is. And, you know, and definitely, uh, I don't know, it's just a touchy subject, right? I mean, I, I think the whole world's pretty, you know, especially the United States is pretty volatile right now when it comes to politics. So I think uh, I'm trying to get my green card right now, too. So I got to be really careful <laughs> what I say. But uh, yeah, it's just uh I don't know. It's it's tough one to bite your lips at times, but like I said, I think especially with social media right now, it's just so many opinions all over the place. It's really, uh, you know, really I think a time that maybe you just need to not say anything really for a bit. You're in a unique situation as you just mentioned. I mean, you're a Canadian. Your wife is American. Right? Uh, she's Canadian. Oh, she's Canadian. Okay, yeah. but your kids were born. Kids here. are yeah, they're so both. The kids are American. Yeah, they do Canada Day and then July Fourth right back to back. So <laughs> And Canada just celebrates 150th yeah. anniversary, right? Yeah. yeah, so that was uh, that was cool. Um, they're both they're all back there right now, actually, for a couple of weeks. So um, looking forward to seeing them. What's that like being a couple that grew up north of the border and raising your kids here? Uh, it's different for sure. I think um, you know we've been now here quite a while, so it's definitely uh, you know we're used to a lot of things in the states. You know, I've lived almost a third of my life now in the U.S., so that's kind of unique when I think of that, but. I don't know. I think it's, there's definitely, there's definitely differences, but on, you know, there's, it's just different. I mean, there's pluses and minus. There's things I love about the U S compared to Canada. And when I go home and drives me nuts about Canada, but, and then the same thing, you know, on the other side, there's a million things I miss and that, you know, you just can't replace. Um, 
But I mean, there's really no two other countries in the world that are, you know, more tied together than probably Canada and the U.S. And I think the cool thing is just the amount of Canadian race fans that, you know, are really taking a liking to our team and stuff. And, you know, there's a huge following of NASCAR there that's uh, that's really cool. I think uh, I get to see that more now. I always knew that was there, but now just being kind of in this role, you get to see a lot of it. And that's something that's uh, really special, I think. And where are you from originally, Cole? Just outside of London, Ontario. So okay. it's about... Pretty much in between Detroit and Toronto, about a halfway in between. So when we fly home, we usually fly to Detroit, drive across. So it's uh, it's kind of in between. And so when you go home now, you see people gravitating to the fact that, hey, we've got a Canadian crew chief in NASCAR who's having a lot of success. Yeah, for sure. I think, uh, you know, definitely in the racing world, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and, even, and even outside of it, you know, there's been a lot of other Canadian media that have had to do stuff with that's um, definitely more mainstream Canadian. I mean, it's hard to be popular in Canada if you're not a hockey player. So to be uh, <laughs> to do something outside of that is uh, is kind of neat. Where does auto racing rank? Obviously, you're right. I mean, whenever NASCAR goes to Michigan or Watkins Glen, I mean, there's a mother load of Canadian license plates that you see in the parking lots there from Ontario and elsewhere. But obviously, it's hockey. <laughs> Yeah. Is racing number two behind hockey being uh, number one, probably like the, much national sport? Probably the Blue Jays would be behind that. I, it's just in the circles you're in. I mean, mm-hmm. in Ontario, I, I know, you know, growing up, there's there's a great short track scene. I mean, there's, and it still is. It's really, you know, maintained pretty strong. I know. I think when you go into Quebec, it's a really good short track scene. And then Maritimes as well. And then, you know, even out west, uh, it's pretty popular all throughout. Like, honestly, really you know, it's just, there's less people, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, you got to think, you know, population of Canada is basically, you know, the state of California in a way, <laughs> you know, just <laughs> spread out, you know, across a huge landmass. So yeah. it's uh, generally underpopulated in terms of what you're used to seeing in the U.S. But, you know, for what's there, you know, it's definitely, uh, it's very popular, I'd say. There's not many people who live in Saskatchewan, but they all seem right. to play professional hockey. Yeah, exactly. Uh, born there. So speaking of that Canadian racing scene, your dad raced mm-hmm. uh, in short tracks around yep. Ontario? Yeah, so that's kind of where I grew up, being snuck into the pits, being told to lay on the floor of the... <laughs> <laughs> lay on the floor of the truck and then i'd sit in the truck all night back in those days too they'd race wednesday night you'd race friday night saturday night you know so they'd run two three times a week most weeks so you know i was always back in the shop you know playing around the floor or messing around when they were you know working on the cars late at night or whenever i could be back there i was so it's just kind of it was the first thing i knew um before anything else really and then obviously i got into racing go-karts and you know it was pretty much cursed with the racing bug as <laughs> as early as you yeah. can get it so yeah my dad uh i think he quit racing there for a bit when i ran go-karts and then went back racing for a bit and then when i started running cars he kind of he kind of hung it up so he was, uh, he was definitely always around a big influence on me. And you were a three-time national go-kart champion in Canada, and you raced some full-bodied cars in what, Stock Car Super Series. and Yeah, Cascar, which NASCAR Pinty Series now, I think. So, yeah, was, uh, go-karts was you know definitely big. I grew up kind of racing all across Canada and WK in the States. So that's one of the main reasons I went up in Colorado in the first place, because Regan Smith and I grew up racing go-karts together. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, so we had known each other since we were pretty young. So when the opportunity came up to go out, there and so you were racing while you were going to school at the university of waterloo yeah but was there a moment at which you just sort of realized better to be an engineer and work in racing <laughs> to be a driver <laughs> um i think it was more after university yeah, the three university was tough but um after university i was working my first job was at toyota actually in manufacturing side and i was pretty much working ridiculous hours and then going home at night and working on a race car ridiculous hours and spending every dollar you had and you know eventually i'm a reasonable person the light bulb went off that this is not very sustainable quit everything and packed up and moved to north carolina and 
basically pounded on doors until I got a job and I was lucky to get hired at RCR. 10 years ago or so? Or? Yeah. And that was when engineering was sort of really taking root and you figured, hey, I've got an engineering degree, somebody's going to hire me. Yeah. And, you know, I just called on every contact I had and, mm-hmm. you know, luckily just got in a good situation. There was a couple other opportunities I had that I had to take and wouldn't have been, you know, worked out as good. So it was, uh, I was really fortunate. Um, I think if I had been a couple of years later, obviously, you know, when the economy tanked in 08, jobs got a lot harder to get, you mm-hmm. know, and there was a period of time where it was really hard to get a job as an engineer. So I was definitely lucky to just be just before that, you know, so it was, uh, it was good timing. And so this is your second stint at Furniture Row. So when Regan Smith started driving for the team, that was when you went out there yep. the first time? Yep. And then I left in 2011 and then came back in 2012. So it was almost a year exactly that I was away. So did you realize as soon as you moved out there that they had something there, that even though it was so far outside the Charlotte hub, that maybe this was something that could work? Yeah, I, I was, uh, I was pretty optimistic. I think the, f- <laughs> I, I shouldn't say that. At first I went out there, I was like, I went to the shop for the first day and I left there and I called my wife and I was like, there ain't no freaking way. (laughs) Biggest bunch of junk I've ever seen. (laughs) So, um, this would have been what? 2009 or Uh, so. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Beginning of 2010. I had to fly. I wasn't flying out to the next morning. So I went downtown Denver and hung out in the city. And then I called my wife and I was like, I think we should move. <laughs> so <laughs> who cares about how good the race team is going to be? I was like, we'll make we it, can be- make it work. I was like, we'll make it work. So yeah. I loved, uh, I really, the Denver, city of Denver really, you know, kind of hit me in the right spot. It was what we were needing at the time. And, you know, I always wanted to work in racing, but my other dream was always to live in the mountains. You know, I'm really passionate as far as skiing and biking and hiking and stuff growing up. So, uh, to get an opportunity to live in the mountains and work in racing was yeah, it was a pretty unique opportunity. And it also gives you the opportunity. Are you still playing in a hockey rec league on yeah. Monday nights? Okay. Yeah, I still play Wednesday nights. Wednesday nights, okay. Yeah. I played in North Carolina too, actually. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah, okay. So. But I was fortunate. I got on, when I moved out to Denver, I got on a really a good team with a good group of guys that I've become good friends with. So it's fun to fun to go have an hour and a half, two hours where you're just, you know, doing the same thing you've done since you were a kid. It's a lot. Of, it's a good stress relief for sure. And you play forward? Most of the time. Okay. Yeah, most of the time. I get talked into playing D every now and then, but I like playing forward. I, I it's better workout. You, you don't look too worse for the wear. I, I take it this isn't like a real rough and tumble. Oh, it happens. No, yeah, I mean it's, uh, it's not a lot of checking, but I mean there's yeah there's definitely some injuries. Like playing a few pucks in the face, and one of my good friends on the team broke his ankle last year, so hopefully uh, avoid those types of injuries. But I've been playing my whole life, and I've only been hurt a few times. There's no faint of heart. No playing it safe. There's no hugging trees. No hugging it out. There's no asking permission. And there's no apologies. There's guts. There's glory. There's NASCAR. All season long on NBC and NBCSN. So going back to the furniture row scene, Cole, and why it works, you mentioned your day starts at 6 a.m. I think for some guys, does it start even earlier, like at 4 or 5? Yeah. Yeah. So it's hard to be the first one there. <laughs> I don't think I have ever been. Do you just have a bunch of people? Is that part of the reason maybe you have this kind of camaraderie that everybody's just sort of committed that we're just going to do whatever it takes? And if it means waking up crack of dawn when it's still dark out, that's what we're doing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's if, if it's like... Well, if that's what we got to do, well, then we'll work the weekend or we'll work two shifts or we'll, it's just never a question of can't. It's a question of how are we going to do it? You get a whole group of people like that together. It's, it's pretty special. How much turnover do you guys have? Is it pretty low compared to pretty low? I would say, I don't know what it is at other teams per se, but I mean, I feel like it's pretty low. I mean, generally, especially on the company side, I mean, they make, you know, you, 
move somebody out there or whatever, you, you've put a big commitment into them, you know, it's, uh, so I think we're definitely give a longer rope at times, you know, when just to try and make a situation work. And I think that makes everybody feel safe and makes them feel like, you know, they're not going to get axed just if they screw up or say the wrong thing. It's, you know, it's a tough place to get let go from. We always say we always have to be mindful of that when we hire people because it's, you know, generally when you hire people, you're making a commitment to them. You know, I think it's definitely a unique, uh, unique environment that way. And part of the advantage is when they make that commitment to the move to Colorado, you know they're probably going to stay there and they're not going to develop the relationships incestuous with these other teams where right. everybody's worked for everybody and they talk to each other at lunch and breakfast and dinner and secrets get passed around. Is that an advantage from big time being isolated? Yeah, yeah, big time. I think yeah. Barney always saw that too. Honestly, I think yeah. that was part of his vision. Yeah, we don't really hang out with other teams or anything like that. It's really like, uh, you know, I think that you know, also comes with the camaraderie is we're just all stuck together because, mm-hmm. you know, we don't really hang out with anybody else. So I like it that way. I like, you know, I go to dinner at night or I get home and nobody really knows what you do. And, you know, your neighbor might ask you if you race, if you won at Indy three weeks ago or whatever, you know, <laughs> they don't really follow it, you know, yeah. as, as tightly as, uh, as it is maybe in North Carolina. So, and you're just not seeing the same people. It just gets you away from it. You know, I think with the schedules, how it is now you're at the tracks, generally a lot of time, you know, they're long days, you're pretty worn out. So it definitely, uh, we really stick to ourselves a lot. Now, despite that isolation, Cole, what, what I've heard from Toyota people is one of the reasons that you guys made such a seamless transition to TRD and the and the Gibbs Alliance in 2016, a, a lot of them point at you as being a key to that because you have this sort of unassuming, unthreatening way that sort of allowed you to be a buffer with, with the Gibbs crew chiefs and establish that trust immediately that is sometimes difficult to build in the garage here. Can you give your perspective on that? Like, do you feel like you were well-suited or maybe the team itself was just well-suited to be an alliance. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, there's uh, maybe blunt at times, but I'm generally honest also. So I think, uh, you know, I think being genuine and stuff like that really gains people's trust quickly. So I think, uh, you know, I think that helped. I spent a lot of time there and, you know, there's some, there's some key parts of it too, like, you know, Todd Barrier being at JGR and, uh, you know, Kyle McLennathan was there and there's a few people I'd worked with at RCR that, that were there also. So that helped, you know, and, and they, since you, they knew me and vouched for me at times, you know, I think that sped up the process, but it was just, uh, again, it's, it's been a, you know, a really easy relationship to go. And a lot of us is, is them, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. they're, you know, they're really like, uh, in terms of people, you know, some of the nicest people, you know, everyone has a really can do attitude at, at JGR. So I think going in there and them welcoming you with open arms was just made it that much easier. You know, it, it was, uh, they were ready to take you in, in a way. So I think, uh, just the combo of the two sides just really being open and committed to making it work just really made it progress so much quicker. Outwardly, at least, and maybe it's somewhat of an unfair perception, but I, I think people have looked at the way you guys have outrun that team for a good part of 2017 and said, hey, that's got to cause some natural friction. And of course, the Brickyard, naturally, I'm sure that competition meeting the following week wasn't that, that much wasn't fun. A, that wasn't a very fun <laughs> But for the most part, have, have things stayed fairly status quo this year compared to last year i'd say so yeah. yeah i mean there's definitely it's hard you know i think it's hard for them but it's just whenever they do ask and we do talk it's it's always really open so i think that always eases any you know any tension so it's naturally rising when you're in two different places i think you know it's generally as as much opportunity as there's been for tension to arise it's really relatively low so i think that's a 
that's a positive sign for sure. Yeah. Um, but and too, like the indie deal was, you know, not good for anybody. And, but I think the fact that we all, you know, talk together and a lot of times that little bit of emotion brings out, you know, anything that's been irritating, you know, lying under the scenes. And I think a lot of that kind of got out that week and will probably make us stronger as, uh, as we go forward. So you and Adam Stevens and whoever else just laid everything on the table that Tuesday morning or whatever after the race and just said, Hey, let's work this out. Yeah. It was kind of a long week. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, you know, we, as soon as, uh, you know, I think what was, what was good as soon as, uh, you know, as soon as we got to Pocono, me and Adam met each other, we went to dinner and spoke face to face. You know, sometimes those conversations are, are hard to have over the phone and stuff, but you know, we went and had dinner together and, you know, aired out anything that there was. And, and it was, it was really easy. I mean, we're both, you know, pretty reasonable people. So as soon as you, you hear the context of what they were thinking versus what you were thinking, and you can just speak openly, honestly, and look each other in the eyes. It, it the tension subsides pretty quickly. Do you ever worry about working with them and working with TRD and everybody kind of trying to be on the same page and essentially be de, de facto teammates? That you can come up with ideas that sometimes might get taken away by somebody else, or you know, uh, it goes, co-opted. It or? goes both ways, though. You know, yeah. I mean, we're we're gaining so much, you know. Um, so the fact that when we come up with stuff, and and I think it just shows on them they're really open and, and willing to take on you know ideas when we have so you know we uh you know we will we'll come up with ideas and projects and you know then they'll if they're right they'll they'll adapt them so i think uh, i think that's the beauty when the relationship's working at its best is when it's going both ways martin tricks jr said when you became crew chief you changed a lot when you took over the reins he, martin said cole was really quite reserved he kind of bit his tongue a lot and now he doesn't have to do that he's become a different person Everybody bought in and believed what he was doing right away. He brought in new engineers to do the job better. It made the whole group be on the same page. He brought in people with the right mentality and the way he led the team. It seems like it comes really natural to you. No, I think so. I mean, yeah. I've always been natural kind of in that role. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't I don't think it's been, uh, it's been too bad. It's definitely, you know, I think, uh, you know, you deal with some, you know, a lot of like, people's you know personal issues and stuff more than you probably you know you have to do a lot more counseling and stuff um to the side than probably (laughs) i ever expected but you know i'm totally fine doing that and i think uh just being conscious of people and you know being aware of you know if somebody's struggling with something or something's bothering somebody just getting right to it you know and trying to air out whatever it is that uh you know that's that's ailing them and then if you get everybody kind of open and thinking of that and then we're all doing that as a group and then naturally you have a a group that's all open and you know no one no one lets a grudge you know fester or or, uh get worse so but i you know as far as when we took over or when i took over or whatever it was just kind of a progression like we started to really get better kind of the end of 2014 even when todd was still there and he was a big part of that so i think uh you know we kind of out of struggling we knew the direction we needed to go and you know, we're just fortunate enough to make a lot of great hires and you know a lot of good people that didn't know how that was actually going to work out it all really came together really well but i guess that just comes to trusting your gut and mm-hmm. you know believing in the people that when you're talking to them you think oh, i think this guy's going to be the right guy and it actually working out so it's definitely uh i don't know i always try and i don't say i lead but i just try and lead the group you know make sure it's a we're all doing it together and I guess that is a leadership strategy in a way, but it's, uh, when people say I'm a jerk or whatever, it's just, (laughs) sometimes you have to be, you know, some, you know, sometimes that is being, being, uh, you know, kind of jerk about stuff and just saying this isn't good enough or we got to be better is you got to play the back. You got to, you got to play that at times. And and that's part of it. I think that everyone has to do that in a way, you know, Mm -hmm. but, uh, at the same time, as long as we can all pat each other on the back and have a beer afterwards and, 
relax and go into the next day, then it then it works well. Well, it certainly put you guys in an enviable position where I think it's safe to say whenever the gates open at this point in the season, your team is getting maybe the most scrutiny because you, you have the fastest car every week, no matter what track, whenever NASCAR goes somewhere, place, Martin Truex Jr. seems to be at the top. I noticed that Chad Canales had told you maybe it was a year or two ago where he kind of pulled you aside and he said that he was seeing like qualities of what he and Jimmy had when the number 48 was sort of at its peak years in the, in the middle of that five championship run. What's it like, I guess, to be the focus of that scrutiny and have a legendary seven-time champion crew chief like Chad Canales tell you something like that? Because it does seem as if you guys are really setting the tone both you know Friday and Saturday when you guys are practicing and during the race like Michigan last week you guys made some pit calls I think everybody had to follow them because you're the leader what's it like being in that position of scrutiny right now uh I don't know I mean just kind of taking it as it goes really I mean obviously the compliments and accolades are are nice but you know you got those by working hard and and staying grounded so I think uh you know just continuing to to be that way and to you know try and uh just focus on the things that got you in the position that you're at. Um, I think that's a good thing about being in Colorado, you know, trying to, you know, we kind of stay away from that a lot. So even though if we, you know, you hear that stuff, it's only on the weekends, so to speak. So it's, you know, it's limited that way. You don't Um, get caught up in it at all. Yeah. You don't get caught up in the week. And I think if you, maybe if you got caught up in all week and then it never came down, you know, you might, it might deteriorate what you have, but the fact that we can get away from it and, then we just come back in with a fresh mind the next week. It just, you know, really enables us to stay on, on task. I think, I don't know. It's just, again, it just goes back to the group of people we have. We're just always, we're, we're our biggest critics. We, you know, we generally, we look at things we did well, but we, we look a lot at what we did wrong, you know, through the weekend and how we can get better. And, you know, hopefully those lists continue to get shorter, but the, the sport's always changing. Rules are changing. Situations are changing. So it's definitely, uh, definitely one you got to continue to adapt to so it sounds like you're not even really paying attention to other I don't. people paying attention to you, you yeah focus I, on you i'm yeah. i'm bad that way i'll i'll get on the race and i'll have no idea where anybody finished but us and no idea what happened and don't really care either so it's definitely uh you know we always say that we we're, we're here for the 78 that's what we're worried about well 10 minutes past garage opening so i know things are happening out there that you have to go be a part of thanks so much for doing this call really yeah. appreciate it thanks for having me Thanks again to Cole Pern for making time for us at the start of a very long day at Bristol Motor Speedway. Really appreciated his willingness to talk about his team's dynamic and his personal history and do so with his usual candor. I think he has one of the more intriguing backstories in NASCAR, and he certainly has emerged as one of its most prominent players in Cup this season. Thanks as well to David Ferroni and David Hart of Furniture Row Racing and Becky Cox at Bristol Motor Speedway for helping coordinate the logistics of the Cole Pern conversation, which, as you heard, actually required some special clearance. Much obliged. We will continue our run of NASCAR Canadians next week on the heels of Cole Pern and Roger Slack from several weeks ago. Next week, we will have NASCAR President Brent Dewar and also a special 100th episode of the NASCAR NBC podcast presented by STP from the 2017 Playoffs Media Day in Charlotte. In advance of the playoff opener at Chicagoland Speedway, I'll be talking with as many championship contenders as I can on Media Day and hopefully compiling some neat stories that you will hear right here. A reminder that NASCAR America is on 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern weekdays on NBCSN. Wednesdays are our Hall of Fame sit-down shows, Today at 5 p.m., it's Austin Dillon of Richard Childress Racing on NBCSN NASCAR America. NASCAR is at Richmond Raceway this weekend to close the Cup regular season. 
That starts Friday with Xfinity practices at 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. Eastern on the NBC Sports app, cup practices at 10 a.m. and noon on NBCSN, Xfinity qualifying at 4 p.m. on NBCSN, and cup qualifying at 5.30 p.m. Eastern on NBCSN. Then at 7 p.m. Eastern Friday from Richmond Raceway, it's Countdown to Green Xfinity on NBCSN, followed by the green flag for the Xfinity race at 7.43 p.m. from Richmond on NBCSN. Saturday will begin with NASCAR America at 5 p.m. Eastern on NBCSN, Countdown to Green at 7 p.m. on NBCSN, and the green flag on the regular season finale at 7.43 p.m. on NBCSN from Richmond, followed by an extended post-race show with interviews of all 16 playoff drivers and then victory lap at 11.30 p.m. Saturday Eastern Time on NBCSN. The NASCAR on NBC podcast presented by STP is on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Audioboom, Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcasts. If you can leave a rating or review or just tell people that you like what you're hearing, that really helps us out. And if you have feedback, you can send it to me on Twitter, at Nate Ryan is my handle. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR on NBC podcast presented by STP. I'm Steve Letarte, STP auto expert and former crew chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 plus Fuel System Cleaner plus Fuel Stabilizer delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.